I would say 100% the most universal complaint is peeing themselves. You know, early postpartum and are like, okay, this isn't normal. How do I proceed? I, I would say like 30% of people come to me with absolutely no issues and are just like petrified of starting again. You're listening to the Running PTs podcast, an audio experience that inspires runners of all kinds to train and run smarter. We are Dr. Neil Gintu and Dr. Vicki Seckley, doctors of physical therapy, and we're sitting down to talk about all things running to help keep you moving mile after mile. So on today's episode, we welcome Kelly Bryant of Kelly Bryant Wellness. Kelly is a Yoga Alliance experienced registered yoga teacher, a registered prenatal yoga teacher, and a certified personal trainer. Kelly is committed to helping women understand their bodies, specifically their core and pelvic health, and is passionate about empowering women through all stages of life, from prenatal to postpartum and beyond. Kelly is here today to talk to us about getting back to running postpartum, when it's safe to start again, and signals that might mean you need to take a break. So without further ado, we welcome Kelly, and thank you so much for joining us. Um, I guess the first question, like before we get into things, is just kind of, you know, I know you're a mom yourself. Um, How did you come into the world of um, wellness and, you know, your yoga instruction and everything? What is your backstory? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the lovely intro. Um, (laughs) My... (laughs) I like to joke I'm a millennial, which means I'm on like my third career. Um, I actually studied journalism. So I did not study exercise science in college. I did not. I actually was uh, never fit my entire life. Uh, Funny story, since we're running is our topic today. I actually, the program, the academic program I did in high school required that you have a certain number of hours of physical activity. and the only team I could join that didn't have tryouts was track. (laughs) So I had a very brief at like 14, I had a very brief track career. I, um, I had to run the, the two mile because no one else would do it. And like, it was mortifying. Like literally the audience, the audience, I don't know what you call it. The, the viewers, we're like waiting like many minutes for me to finish so that they could like go to the next event. Oh, it was horrible. So I actually was not a fitness person. I was not super active. Sounds like you have track experience. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course my dad is, was like, I was the captain of my cross country team. Like you can do this. And I'm like, I can't do it. <laughs> I actually ended the season uh, benched with stress fractures in my shins. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was not my proudest moment. Also, like, I live in Florida, so we're out at, like, 4 p.m. Miserable all around. Um, So, (laughs) not a super active kid. I actually studied journalism in college. I went to the University of Miami and studied journalism, and... Um, graduated in a recession, don't recommend it, Um, moved to New York to like, go be a writer. And I actually worked at um, the outlet Greatest. You guys know Mm -hmm. Greatest? Mm -mm. They're they're a health and wellness website. So that was my introduction into health and wellness was like, not until I was in my 20s, 
and having to write about like nutrition and exercise. And uh, part of the part of the compensation package was these like weekly outings to go do different kinds of fitness classes and things like that. So I ended up um, really clicking with yoga. I actually transitioned to working at Noom, who more people have heard of now than when I was there. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wrote all of the content that was in the original Noom weight loss coach app. Um, And it was all like deeply researched. So I I was digging into PubMed and um, learning about behavior change. And meanwhile, like burning out, like tech startup life, living in New York City, you know, it's like they feed you breakfast, lunch, dinner, and beer so that you don't leave from like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Yep. Um, so I did my yoga teacher training to just like try to find some balance. And and I, I liked yoga. I was mm-hmm. horrendous at it because I was like the tin man. I didn't move for the first 25 years of my life. So you keep it real, huh? I love it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to pull your chain and be like, yes, I've just always been a yogi. It's like, no, I was super stressed. I was like drinking a lot. I was eating crap and I was like, I need to do something for myself. Love it. Um, So I, so after doing my yoga teacher training, six months later, my husband and I quit our jobs and we decided to go travel around the world for a year and a half. Awesome. So came back from that and was like, I think I'm going to just do this wellness thing full time. And that's when I actually became a full time yoga teacher. I started teaching um, bar and Pilates, which was sort of my way into strength training, which is yeah. why uh, I-, I joke that like my the people who come to me come to me because I don't make them run because I have the Pilates and the bar background. I don't do as much of the cardio myself, but of course- right. I get lots of runners who come in and are like, save me. Like, (laughs) I think I need more core strength. I think like I'm, you know, something's going on with my pelvic floor or my core. So I do a lot of the cross training for runners. I don't teach running. I teach the other half of it. Which is just as important. Super important. It's it's just as I like really do need to have someone else make me do the cardio part. I, I am that person for the, for the cardio junkies. Like I make them do the strength part and the mobility part. Love it. Yeah. Um, awesome. Wow. That's good. <laughs> that's a great introduction. I think that was very interesting. I really love that you keep it real. I think that we have way too many people on social media who are just like, you know, like I am the fastest, the strongest, I do all of this, I do all of that. And it's just so hard to relate to them. So I think that it's so, it's so nice to hear someone that, you know, everyone can relate to, like, we've all been there. We've all been that person who like, doesn't want to, you know, necessarily like do the two mile and the track workout. And, oh, totally. you know, it, it just feel like it's really, you know, yeah. Um, so in terms of, that I'm um, like, I have, trash hip flexors. Like I have all the issues that I help people with. I have horrible hip flexors. Like I had, I don't as much anymore, but I have had a lot of like upper back and neck issues because I wasn't active for so long. So I know what that feels like. Yeah. So you can empathize for sure. Um, I guess my, like to kind of, you know, 
go back a little bit. I know you mentioned that like a lot of your clients come to you and say that they don't want to run or anything, but what is probably like the number one complaint or the number one injury um, that you see necessarily in like new moms or in someone who is, you know, pregnant? Um, what What is the number one complaint that you hear? I would say 100% the most universal complaint is peeing themselves, mm-hmm. which I'm like, yeah. the, the number of people who have done that for uh, months, years, and just like don't even think it's a problem uh, is kind of uh, wow. startling. But fortunately, yeah. lots of people do come back, um, you know, early postpartum and are like, okay, this isn't normal. How do I proceed? I do mm-hmm. get, um, I, I would say like 30% of people come to me with absolutely no issues and are just like petrified of starting again. They're like, I just don't want, like, they've heard the horror stories and they just don't want to hurt themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think in, in terms of the the whole issue of, you know, peeing yourself, I think that's something that is wildly like un, under discussed. Like I think a lot of people kind of shy away from talking about it. And then you get, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, these commercials on TV, like really piss me off where it's like, oh, like you go, go for a run and you peed a little bit, put in, put in a tampon or like put in a pad and you'll be fine. And it's like, oh my God. What? what? anything. So I guess for like the, I mean, I know this can happen without running too, but especially for those new moms who like, you know, have that issue. How do you, what do you do for them? Oh boy. So to start. (laughs) Yeah. Like the, the fact, I mean, we could get into like a whole conversation about the economics of all of this, but like, let's mm-hmm. just say the money is not in people getting better. The money mm-hmm. is in people needing totally. the solution forever. Totally. So yeah. I think it's important for people to question the narrative. Like if anyone tells you, oh, that's normal. Oh, that's just how it is. Like whatever the issue may be, question mm-hmm. it. And just, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm totally down for people questioning what I say too. So when I sit there and I say like, no, you should not have SI pain for the rest of your life. No, you should not have low back pain for the rest of your life. You should not be peeing yourself. Like, you're free to disagree with me if you, like, you know, want to try to fix it and it doesn't work for you. Like, either go find a second opinion, go find another practitioner or decide Mm -hmm. that that's how you're going to live. But don't just assume that because, you know, one doctor or one friend told you that's normal. It's not true. Um. So some of the things that we work on, the first one is you have to take the impact out in order to heal. So Mm -hmm. if you're in, you know, I treat peeing yourself like I would any other injury. If you are in an like acute pain or you are in, you know, you are having an actual symptom presenting, you have Mm -hmm. to stop doing the thing that's presenting the the symptom. Mm -hmm. So some of my runners are very sad about that. (laughs) I, I, my last cohort of my postnatal training program, I had one person who was like a super dedicated runner and like her face when I said that was like literally, you know, the like bulgy eye emoji. Yeah. It was that, it was like, (laughs) what? 
Like yeah. I am going to lose my mind if I can't run for nine weeks or whatever the program was. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you, first of all, I am as big a proponent as anyone else of like, let your movement practice, whether it's running, whether it's yoga, whatever. Sure. Mm-hmm. Use that as one way to manage your mind. But like, what are you going to do if you get injured? You can't let running or yoga or something that you do with your body be the only way that you handle your emotions. Yeah. So So the first thing I do is I say like, okay, you have to stop doing whatever it is that's causing the thing. Of course, with moms, like there's a limit to how much they can do that, right? Like they can't stop carrying their kid. Right. They can't, you know, if it's, if it's like, low back pain, they can't just stop walking, (laughs) you know, you have to like, work with what you can. But in insofar as you're able, like, you know, you stop doing the thing that the high impact activity that's causing issues, Mm -hmm. if it's, um, and then we and then we start working on breathing, and Mm -hmm. how to assess whether your pelvic floor is too tight or too loose. I hate those Mm. words. The technical words are hypertonic or hypotonic, but like in an audio format, trying to hear (laughs) hypertonic versus hypotonic is really annoying. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So how exactly do you do that? Like what is your... So I I am not a PT. I'm not a pelvic floor PT. (laughs) I do not put my hands on anyone. Um, The way that we assess pelvic floor hypertonicity and hypotonicity or looseness or tightness Mm -hmm. is um, they feel around. So uh, I have a few, like one, so if anyone listening wants to do it, wiggle around on your butt so that you feel where your sit bones are and then Mm -hmm. take your fingers. I'm physically doing this as if you can see me. And then take your hand. You're not inserting fingers vaginally. You're going to take your hand and just touch alongside the inside of your sit bone. Okay. So basically like toward the perineum. Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you palpate around, if you use your fingertips to touch around that and you Mm want to do both sides, right? So a lot of us have like asymmetry because we shift our hips one way or the other. So that's Mm -hmm. one way if it's like, oh, like you touch that and it takes your breath away because it's like so uncomfortable. That would be one sign that you have like a lot of pelvic floor tightness. Um, Another, you know, it's not... (laughs) a hundred percent universal, but generally if you are, um, if you have stress incontinence where you pee when you sneeze, that's usually a symptom of, um, pelvic floor looseness. Whereas if you have urge incontinence where I describe it as like your pelvic floor is so engaged all the time that you put like a teaspoon of pee in your bladder and the pelvic floor is like, I can't hold it anymore. And just, you know, you have this urge of like, oh my God, I have to pee, I have to pee. And then you just kind of like lose it. That's often associated with being actually over engaged in the pelvic floor. So Mm. a lot of new moms, I think I heard this stat, like up to 40% of postpartum moms are actually over tight in the pelvic floor, Mm. which is not the cultural narrative we get. Like I'm going to be a little explicit here. But like the cultural narrative women have around, you know, their vagina postpartum is that it's like, it's going to be loose and it's not going to feel good anymore. And their husband's like not going to, their, I should say partner, but Mm -hmm. you know, the partner who actually feels something when they insert something, uh, 
is, you know, that, that they're going to like lose their sex life because they're too loose. And so they engage, 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 engage. And in fact, mm. up to 40% of those women should not be engaging their pelvic floor and should be releasing, relaxing, stretching. Interesting. So then in terms of like, so after you've done your assessment, I'm assuming that's where we're headed, but after you've done your assessment and you determine like, is that not the case that you're going straight into necessarily like pelvic floor exercises like Kegels for someone who- no. So if you're on that, um, if you're on that like too loose end of the spectrum, um, yeah. where it's like you have to cross your legs when you sneeze, or if you laugh too hard, you pee, or you can't yeah. jump, um, you can't have like any impact, um, then yeah. that- uh, that would be like the Kegel route. And that's, I would say the majority of my people who come to me. Right. Uh, And then the, the other end of the spectrum is like, I actually do a lot of, um, so if people know the the names of the yoga poses, like happy Mm -hmm. baby pose or half happy baby pose, just pulling one knee in or the other, um, Mm -hmm. what I call like a a butt up child's pose where you actually like get your legs up on top of like blocks or something so that you're actually elevated. Basically anything that reverses gravity and gets the weight of your body off of your pelvic floor allows you to then go into relaxing the pelvic floor, stretching the pelvic floor and repatterning movement. So that also has a lot to do with breathing. So diaphragmatic breathing, um, to make like very wild generalizations The people who are often over tight are people who have like a lot of anxiety or stress, um, people who are very athletic. So they, you know, in the yoga world, it's like, it's mula bandha, mula bandha. It's like squeeze your pelvic floor all the time. Um, and, uh, people who have had C-sections because their tissue was not physically stretched by the birth. You're carrying the weight of the baby and like all of this extra weight in the pelvis for all of these months. And then you don't have the physical like stretch open of the baby moving through the birth canal. So often I find C-section, um, parents have more, uh, over tightness. Interesting. So then in that, in that regard, if you have that kind of that client who's coming to you with that over tightness, um, what, how do you think that would, or I don't know if you've actually had like a, an example of this, but how do you think that would present during running? Like if, you know, if that client were to go out for a run, would it bother them much? Or is there a sign or a signal that, that would, you know, not because obviously if they're too loose, quote unquote, they would have the issue of like peeing a little bit when they're running. But if it's the opposite. Right, so I think that you actually can pee when you're running from either, like from oh, being too loose or too tight because, yeah, right. um, you know, the, like I know completely irrespective of like birth and all of that, like there are these stories of women who like run marathons and like just pee themselves the whole time because yeah. – <laughs> you're, you're, it's so much impact on the pelvic floor for so much time. Yeah. Yeah. So I just like the pelvic floor is like any other muscle. If you were walking around for three hours with your elbow bent at 90 degrees, like carrying a tray. Yeah. At some point, like that muscle would just give out. Yeah. But with, so with running, especially like long distance running, it can, it can yeah. really come from either end. Right. Um, 
So it's not necessarily like the, the peeing while running is sort of like the exception. Like I would say like, if you do like one jumping jack and you pee, like that's probably (laughs) the too loose side of it. But, um, again, it's the, the best way, obviously the best, best way I should plug physical therapy here. The best, best way is to go see a pelvic floor PT. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, unfortunately, like here in the U.S., for financial reasons, for reasons of access, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of reasons that people may not be able to see a pelvic floor PT, particularly if um, they have like a lot of uh, anxiety or trauma around the pelvic floor. Like they may just say like out of hand, like absolutely not. I don't want to go to a professional who's going to put anything in my vagina. Yeah. Um mm-hmm most pelvic floor PTs will not insist on it. Like, you know, it's worth doing a consult and just saying like, Hey, can we just talk? Um, Mm -hmm. but a a pelvic floor PT is much more qualified to assess that. Um, Mm -hmm. but second to that, if you can't Mm -hmm. access a pelvic floor PT, um, Mm -hmm. doing your own, you know, palpating. So I gave the, the cue of like touching the inside of the sit bones that yeah. one's helpful because I can do that in a room full of people and nobody has to pull their pants down. But right. with clean lubricated hands, you also can just insert a finger or two and like trace mm-hmm. the inside of the vagina from, so if the, if the front is 12 o'clock, you don't want to like irritate. There's all kinds of things up at the front that you don't want to irritate, but like you can go from like two o'clock to 10 o'clock and mm-hmm. just feel around like, is there tightness here? Is there discomfort here? Now, are you looking for like, when you mean tightness, do you mean necessarily tenderness or does it, what is that kind of? Yeah, that's a much better word. Yeah. Okay. So, and then, and so if our, you know, if there's like a a mom or, or anyone listening to our podcast right now, if they do feel something that they think is off, you would say, you know, go, go seek out professional help or would you say like try first of course like if you have access to the help get the help and of course this yeah. applies like well beyond no oh, yeah. parents oh yeah right like this is true of anyone who you know takes their running very seriously which presumably your listeners do um yeah. that if it's in, you know if it's impeding your ability to to run or mm-hmm. if you're peeing while you're running um that's like, that's a sign of concern. And I always tell people like, you deserve a second opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can always go to another practitioner. And of course, if money is no object, and you you really can go get as many opinions as you want, do it. Um, If you can't, then that's where I would say, okay, if you can't get to a pelvic floor PT for whatever reason, then if things seem off, Mm-hmm. experiment. I'm a big fan of like, just saying, here are some tools. Here's mm-hmm. my recommendation. This is what, this is what generally works for most people, mm-hmm. but you fig like you do it to yourself mm-hmm. and figure out if it's better or if it's worse. Right. Cause you know, your body better than anyone. Exactly. And, and you're the only one who's going to have the, uh, the outcome, right? Right. No one else can, can want it for you. Yeah. So, you know, that's the other thing about pelvic floor PT. I've had people say like, I don't want to do it because I know that I can't commit, you know, I'm home with a kid or for whatever reason, like they're like, I just don't want to waste the money on going when like, Mm -hmm. I know that ultimately I'm going to have to do homework and do all this other stuff that I'm Mm -hmm. not ready to commit to doing. 
Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think that that you brought up some very valid points. I love that, um, all that information, but switching gears just a little bit, because you did mention um, in terms of like, if someone, you know, that you see, and you mentioned that 40% that is, you know, you know, after a C-section, generally pretty tight, they can try like the reverse child's pose, like you mentioned, they can try the happy baby. Um, Are there any exercises other than the kegels that you would give to that other 60% of the population that maybe is just, you know, they had the vaginal birth and mm-hmm. things are a little bit too loose. Like what is your, and I, I agree with you. I hate that word tight and loose. Like I just think that they're so like, they just really don't describe what we're trying to say, but um, just for, you know, for our listeners to keep it a little bit easier. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. What, what is your, I guess, go to and what's your progression with the exercises there? Yeah. So the first thing that I do with everyone is um, strengthen the, so we're talking like, you know, general, like the kind of normally presenting postpartum person is yeah. going to need some more stability through their core and they're right. going to need more stability through their pelvis. Right. So the things that I work on are one, breathing because you can't strengthen anything if it doesn't have any movement. So we always breathe, you know, finding mobility through the core and the pelvic floor. Um, Mm. And then figuring out how to do an engagement. So can you Kegel and engage your pelvic floor? And then building onto that, can you Kegel and engage your pelvic floor while also engaging your transverse or your kind of deepest layer of abs, which Mm. are the ones that provide support for your low back? So low back pain is probably the most, the the second most common issue I see people with, um, postpartum people with. And Mm -hmm. then we build onto that, you know, standing and seated sort of resting posture. And Mm -hmm. then we build onto that, putting it all together. How do you breathe, engage, and move through exercises? Right. Okay. Which is slow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, do you, are you generally like pretty much, uh, do you have, I mean, obviously it's different right now, but do you have in-person sessions or can you even do this like through zoom? Are you like, Oh yeah. So I have both. I, my, my groups, my postnatal, um, like I do a, a three month postnatal program that's basically designed in 90 days to get you from doing nothing or having all kinds of, of drama and to being able to do whatever the heck you want, either because you're completely rehabbed in that span of time, which would be the dream, or because you've learned all of the skills that you need to manage whatever you've got going on. Right. That program is delivered entirely digitally um, in a group. On the flip side, I do, I do do <laughs> private training <laughs> with people too. Okay. So a yeah. lot of that is for like more in-depth chronic issues. So like I get a lot of referrals from like chiropractors who are, you know, seeing people come in and like they adjust the same thing over and over and over again, and they just can't hold an adjustment. And I find a lot of the time that's like hip flexor. Yeah. It's it's almost always hip flexor issues when, you know, people are getting pulled out of their adjustments so rapidly. Um, And often hip flexor issues are also trauma issues. Right. Like you mean like post. It's, I mean, sometimes it's, it's birth trauma. 
where it's right. like they've had a very traumatic birth experience. And so yeah. they have an, I was about to say an actual injury, which is not what I mean to say, but they have a musculoskeletal malfunction, dysfunction, mm-hmm. yeah. and also an emotional trauma that happened at the same time. I see. Yeah. And so those things just don't, you know, we can work on it in the group context, but often there's just, it's so much slower and there's so much more like making people feel safe. And that of course is easier in person when, you know, they're not at their house with their dog licking their face and like their baby crying and all of that. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll get back to that soon enough, but that sounds like we work with what we can though. You know, Yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't still try and do it, you know? Um, 100%. And and I've had people who I was like, you know, one week I'll be like, oh my God, this this situation that I'm training them in is untenable. Like there are too many distractions. There's too much other stuff going on. And then the next week it'll ju- it's like it just clicks because progress mm. isn't linear. No. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I love what you mentioned there. And I also like that you, you know, in terms of the exercise that we were talking about earlier, I'm sorry, I kind of veered off. I was just honestly curious if you, if you're doing, you know, just zoom sessions, cause I love all that stuff that you do, but kind of on back to that topic a little bit, um, you know, you're giving these, um, women, these exercises, do you also touch up on, um, diet and like hydration and all of that? And what are your recommendations in terms of, um, you know, if, if someone has to look further into, into their diet or, um, anything like that. Yeah. Funny. You should ask. Um, I actually, uh, the current cohort of my postnatal program, I am integrating more of that into it. Um, the first cohort was only two months and I expanded it out to three months so that we would have more time and more space to work through a lot of that stuff. Um, I, I create, I don't want to say I created it, but I, the way that I talk about the body is what I call the RAMS system, which stands for rest, acceptance, mobility, strength. Mm -hmm. And 99% of people want to come in and work on mobility and strength. And the reality is it doesn't work if you aren't doing the rest and acceptance piece. So what I put in rest and acceptance is sleep, nutrition, hydration, creating support systems like within your um, your nuclear and your extended family, building community, meditation, breathing techniques, managing your emotions, therapy. There's so many things that have to happen behind the scenes in order for the mobility and the strength work to stick. Right. So I am not a nutrition expert. I When I have private clients who like really, really want that, I'll Mm -hmm. say, look, I am happy to have you keep a food journal and to talk to you about the food journal and to say like, okay, well, what decisions are you happy with? What are you not happy with? And let's talk about why and what, you know, what happened that, you know, made that food decision happen, but I don't make nutrition recommendations because that's not, um, not my lane, but I am looking at bringing some experts in to teach my people about that. Cool. That's yeah, awesome. Cause what I, you know, there's a few things I dabble, right? Like I study, I'm interested. Yeah. I think, uh, specifically with this population, you know, there's, uh, iron 
is a big part of it. They've just lost an enormous amount of blood. Um, uh, Collagen is a a super interesting component because uh, all of, you know, tissue, if we're, if we're trying to bring tissue back together, then collagen is part of the conversation. Um, There's all kinds of other nutrient deficiencies that are, you know, very common among female athletes, which I cannot speak to. So, you know, I know what's, what's worked for me, but that doesn't make me an expert. Right, right. But still, I mean, giving general guidelines is totally, you know, okay, especially if, like you said, if you have, you know, dabbled and you're interested and you've, and you've read up on some of the research, like it's totally okay to, to give a recommendation. But, right. you know, I think, that'd I think, be really I think important. the most important thing that I want to teach people in that program is like, look, your nutrition matters. Don't, you know, I like, I come in pretty strong on the, like, if you're not sleeping, drinking Mm -hmm. water and eating decent food, don't work out. Just don't, because you're not going to get any benefit. You're going to hurt yourself because your body doesn't have the, the nutrients, the resources that it needs. Like, you know, when we're exercising, we're literally damaging our tissue so that it grows back stronger. And if you don't have the resources to do that, you're damaging your tissues over and over and over again, and you're going to create injury. Yeah. I completely agree with you there. Um, switching gears again, just a little bit more towards in terms of like the running and, and mm-hmm. if you have someone who, you know, would you say, let's, let's talk about someone who is pregnant to just to start. Um, is there a time that you think, you know, that you would recommend, um, them maybe stop running or are there certain signs and signals they can um, be listening to, or do you feel like they shouldn't be running at all during pregnancy? What, what is your take on that? Yeah. So I would never presume to know someone else's body better than they do. Um, Yeah. What I know is that if you're not passionate about running, it's Mm -hmm. not something you need to do when you're pregnant. If you're passionate about running, then you should be looking at how can I do this in a way that is sustainable and comfortable right now, but Mm -hmm. also supportive of my ultimate goal to get back to running and presumably running fast Mm -hmm. after having this child. So I think less so with running, more so with like heavy weightlifting, Often women will do more harm than good, you know, thinking that like, oh, if I keep this up, if I keep this up, then I'll be able to come back so much faster and so much stronger Mm -hmm. after having the baby. And it's actually quite the opposite where Mm -hmm. you can do, you know, you can do pretty serious damage by, you know, lifting heavy, doing your pull-ups, doing your ab exercises, all that stuff when you're pregnant and Mm -hmm. ultimately never recover to the same level. Um, So... I like for people to keep that in mind. We talked a little bit earlier about like the idea of if the only way that you have of managing your emotions is running, (laughs) that's not going to work. So you do want to like, if running is your only outlet, you have to have other options. If um, you're, you're running because you love it and you really want to, then let's talk. Okay. So let's talk about how do we make that sustainable? you have to know what's not normal. Yeah. So are you taking more stance of like just kind of listening to your body and not necessarily yeah, and listening to your body and not your ego because many of us mix them up. <laughs> I know I do. 
<laughs> yes. So, you know, so things that like, let's make this actionable things that I would tell your listeners to look for one, if you're peeing yourself, something's up. If right. you're having, um, any kind of pelvic pain. So, um, SI pain or SPD, which, mm-hmm. um, would be like pain. Uh, I call them like your butt dimples, like the two mm-hmm. little, uh, dimples for lack of a better word right above your butt cheeks those are that's your SI joint if you're having any pain around there um or in the front of the pelvis like right at the pubic bone that's like mm-hmm. a that's a really strong sign that your mm-hmm. body is not um aligned well for mm-hmm. running as a running as a, a single leg activity every single stride of a run is a single leg asymmetrical activity so if you're having mm-hmm. that any symptoms of an asymmetry in the pelvis, you're lacking the stability and and the um, support that you would need to have to run safely. Obviously, um, knee pain, low back pain, I would say, depending on how far along you are in the pregnancy, low back pain may be something that you can strengthen the core enough to keep Mm -hmm. running. Um, Mm -hmm. So those are all kind of different signs that maybe it's time to stop or to significantly reconsider your training plan. Right. Right. So then is there necessarily like a different avenue that you would recommend, um, these, these clients take in terms of, um, like if running's not working, like, would you be like, okay, then go on the bike, you know, do you feel like that's really positive or? Yeah. Um, some people run cause it's, you know, they're vitamin N they're getting outside. If that's why you're running, go for a walk. Yeah. Um, some people run because it's part of a social activity. If that's the case, find another social activity. Um, I actually don't like the bike as an alternative. Um, what running has going for it over spin is Mm -hmm. that at least you're upright. Yeah. So being hinged forward on a spin bike or like a road but I don't know. How, I don't know that I actually see pregnant women out on a road bike, but like yeah. <laughs> if you're hinged forward, um, you're really, really shortening your hip flexors. Yeah. Often the hip flexors are one of the most common root causes of the asymmetry that was creating pain from the running in the first place. So you may right. not have as, uh, as obvious a discomfort because there's no impact, but mm you're still, you're just, and I say all of this, (laughs) I did bar. I was teaching literally two days after my due date. My boss was like, I need you to stop teaching because I wake up at night, like freaking out that you're going to go into labor and no one's going to be available to teach. So (laughs) I was teaching doing bar past nine months and I was making my hip flexors really tight and I was making my deep hip rotators, piriformis, et cetera, really tight. And then thank God I actually had a chiropractic adjustment in the middle of my birth because I was having excruciating hip pain between contractions, like just continuously for my entire labor. And my daughter was asynclitic, which means her head was cocked off to one side because I had just made my, my dang pelvis so tight. Wow. So was that just you just like, you know, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to do this. Or do you feel like looking back, were there any signs that, you know, could have 
you know, maybe prevented that. I don't know if that's the right oh, word. I totally could have. I, I totally, I was still taking classes too. Yeah. I totally could have prevented it. I was early in my, in my prenatal postnatal studies. Right. And of course I thought nothing applied to me. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, Cause ego, because of course I will say this, like, if you are a runner, if you are a, a bar fanatic, if you are a yogi and you keep showing up, you are going to get so much positive reinforcement. Everyone's going to be like, you're so badass. Like, you're so strong. Way to go. Yeah. F that. Yeah. Like, your body, the fact, there's two cultural messages that we're all being told, which is either that you're pregnant, you can't do anything, or you're pregnant, you can do whatever you were doing before. And in fact, the more you do, the better you are. Totally. I feel like I hear that all the time. And I really like that you're touching up on that because that's something that I've heard before too, is like, oh, if you're a runner and you're pregnant, like keep doing your normal life, you know, keep no. going. And kind of like, but life isn't normal right now. Right. <laughs> you know? right. so, so, yes. Because it's like, yeah. no, it, <laughs> right. if, if you were going to gain, and I mean, like, 20 to 60 pounds. Like if you were going to gain 20 to 60 pounds over the course of realistically six months, right. like any, any doctor would be like, uh, that's not going to be good for your joints. It's not going right. to be good for your pelvic floor. It's not going to be good. For, like, yeah. and then also considering the fact that like your pelvis, like physically the bones of your pelvis have to move, which right. means your muscles and your connective tissue have to be incredibly supple during yeah. birth and you have all of these hormones in your body that are trying they're trying so hard to make you loosen up yeah. and meanwhile you're like screw you body I'm gonna make everything super super tight so that you can't possibly release so That's I don't so you know you asked earlier like is there a point in, t in the pregnancy where you say stop running I don't I yeah. can tell you that in my own programs the last full month is, so I have a prenatal program as well. Um, mm -hmm. The last full month of my prenatal program is called birth prep. And all we're doing is relaxing the pelvic floor, mm -hmm. mentally and emotionally preparing for birth and mm -hmm. strengthening the transverse abs because the transverse abs can actually help you in the pushing stage of labor. I see. Okay. So it's more just general prep for labor. It's not like, yes. oh, I'm gonna keep my body like fit, you know, it's like, no, I'm going to keep get my body ready for what it's about to go through. <laughs> exactly. Because if you don't have super strong abs, like I talk to all of these hyper fit women. So here's like, here's the, the thing, the light bulb moment for me at yeah. some point, it was probably too late, too late for me in my pregnancy to like figure this out. But at some point mm -hmm. I went, holy crap. I think in the time that I was pregnant, there were like four or five women who came to my studio who were also pregnant yeah. and three out of five had C-sections and the other two had very, very difficult, very long pushing stages of labor. Hmm. And hmm. that is a red flag. Like that should make you go, huh, something's yeah. not right here. Something about this exercise modality that these women are doing three times a week, five times a week is not working right. for labor. Right. That's so interesting. That's a really good point. Um, so in like, if you, I, I'm assuming you, you only have one, one daughter. <laughs> yes, I have one. She's the, almost two now. So like I've okay. been, I've yeah. been <laughs> like, 
woke <laughs> about not overdoing it for, you know, yeah, the two totally. years since she was born. Yeah. So I guess that kind of leads us into the next, you know, the kind of like, I guess, postpartum. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going to ask you the same question is, and, and maybe the answer is the exact same is like, what, what are the warning signs um, or like, I guess we kind of touch, touch, touched up about it already, but is there like, how far after giving birth do you think it's safe to run? Yeah. So similar, like similar answer of like, I couldn't possibly tell everyone, but right. Right. I will right. tell you, I like the first time I, I like actually looked into this, I, I was like, you know, computer flipping mad. Um, yeah. ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, actually does not recommend that people wait until six weeks postpartum to begin exercising. Really? We all think that. We all think, you know, and in fact, this was the part that I was like, are you freaking kidding me? In fact, ACOG doesn't even recommend that we wait six weeks for a postpartum appointment. Interesting. That is almost entirely, I mean, okay, so I haven't, this is like me using my, my deductive reasoning skills. I haven't read this explicitly anywhere, but that is entirely for the benefit of the insurance companies and the convenience of the doctor's Mm. practice. Interesting. So ACOG actually says the recommendation is to have, I forget if they say one or two appointments within the first, I don't even remember if it's eight weeks or 12 weeks, but that the date of that appointment should be dependent on the individual. There are so many things that happen in labor. You know, obviously there's C-section. C-sections are defaulted to two appointments, thankfully, but like that should probably be a lot more. Um, And, but I mean, tearing, stitches, like, I right. recently, just in the past month or two, I feel like there's been this like rash of episiotomies. And I'm like, I actually am like eagerly awaiting the research to be like, is this associated with COVID or is everybody in a hurry? Are people like right. super stressed and unable to relax? But like, there's all these things, all these complications that can happen in birth. And the right. recommendation to say six weeks is is completely it's not, it's not uh, reflective of the individual experience. I went back to exercise at two weeks. I, thanks to a chiropractic adjustment, had a fantastic birth. I had no injuries, no emotional trauma. Like I had a lot of support at home from my partner and all of those things allowed me to have um, a pretty, easy return back to movement but to actually answer your question yeah (laughs) now that I've gotten that out of the way um (laughs) I don't recommend going back to running until you have done a progression of exercises that validates that you are ready to go back to running and that progression might begin at three days postpartum it might begin at three months postpartum And that's going to depend on your healing, you know, what your birth looked like, what your healing looks like, what the support you have at home looks like. And when you're ready, you start with breathing. So I think I touched on this. Um, You start with breathing, core engagement, pelvic floor core engagement, um, posture, integrating all of those things into exercises, moving really slowly, and then you speed up the exercises. So 
I explicitly teach how to jump. Mm, Love that. Like how to move through releasing the pelvic floor, engaging the pelvic floor, releasing the pelvic floor again in the, in the span of a single jump. Yeah. So you have to kind of do those things. And, you know, I, I saw one, um, one PT, Dr. Sarah Duvall, who she posted something on Instagram saying like, she doesn't let women go back to running until they can do 15 pistol squats per leg. (laughs) That's extremely challenging, but I agree. (laughs) Yeah. Which is like, you know, this is like, this is where we're, you know, over into, into your realm of things. Like, right. Right. All the part that I do is the, how do you breathe? How do you engage? Like, how do you do this all how do you figure out how to do it all together? And then you go back to doing all of the same cross-training exercises that you would do in any running program. Totally. Yep. I love that. That I think that's a perfect, you know, summary in terms of it's like, yeah, don't just like, oh, you could be feeling good and you could have a great, you know, birth and you could do you have okay, you know, symptoms, but it doesn't necessarily mean you jump up and go for a run, right? There's right. a lot of different steps that you have to take before getting your body ready for that because running is not an, not an easy thing to do. You know, just like no. you mentioned, it's a single leg sport, requires a lot of hip and a lot of core stability, and mm-hmm. it takes time to get back there, especially, you know, what, especially what you went through, you know? Um, but right. I think that's great. That, that was a great um, summary for that. Yeah, Kelly, anything else that you wanted to bring up that you wanted to talk about? Um, yeah, I think that was fantastic. Um, you're exactly the person to, to go to, you know, prenatal, postpartum. Um, and if anyone wants to kind of jump over to your page, you're at Kelly Bryant Wellness, I think your Instagram is. Yes, my Instagram, everything. My everything is Kelly Bryant Wellness. That's my website URL. That is my Facebook and that is my Instagram. It's also my TikTok, which, you know, all eight people who follow me over there really enjoy my talks. I love your TikToks. Um, I think they're fantastic. Thanks. Uh, Yeah, I use it as a as a a creativity medium. It's not so much a channel in itself, but you know, come TikTok with me. Um, hilarious. The I, I think the um, the closing comment that I would have for any um, new parent or anyone who is coming back from injury as well is, mm-hmm. and I say this all the time, don't ever believe that one doctor, one trainer, one PT's word is the end of the conversation for you mm-hmm. because there's no point in believing that you can't get better. Totally. Because if you believe you can't get better, you're not going to do anything to get better. And that will 100% be true. If you choose to believe that there is a possibility that you can recover and that you will recover, then Mm -hmm. you're going to continue taking the action to do it. And you're always going to end up in a better place if only because you learned so much about yourself and so much about your body on the way. So the biggest thing is just to keep believing that you will recover. It's not going to be a straight line. It's going to be a lot of up and down, but it's worth it to just keep moving forward. Great. That was, I mean, I think we'll just end it at that. That was fantastic. 
Um, so thank you so much, Kelly. Hop on over to her Instagram, Kelly Brandt Wellness, and we'll also have it up on the podcast site. Um, and yeah, thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yay.